Hello and welcome to JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, ordained minister and chaplain JG Ministries, and I'm glad you joined us today. Our study is in the ninth chapter of the book of Luke, and we're going to wrap this chapter up today and start chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 10 and chapter 9, and let's get into it. I want to finish with chapter 9 with some final thoughts on the further teaching and the travels of Jesus towards Jerusalem and the new direction of Jesus's ministry. And then we'll go ahead and begin chapter 10 with the sending of the 70s, uh, 70. Uh, one final, final thought is in the previous discussion of the three men in the following of Christ, we have three cardinal hindrances to discipleship illustrated in the experience of these men. The first one is material comforts. The second one is a job or an occupation. And the third one is family and friends. Christ must reign in the heart without rival. All other loves and all other loyalties must be secondary. And we have Jesus saying foxes have holes. And more than an, a year earlier, Jesus had said the same thing to a scribe who offered to follow him across the lake. And we saw that in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, probably he had given that same answer many times to those who were looking for a kind of preferment that he did not have to offer. Jesus' reply to the second and third men does not, of course, mean that we should ignore our day-to-day -day responsibilities towards people. The Bible teaches over and over that one of the truest marks of a Christian is to be thoughtful and considerate in all family relationships, especially in times of grief. It is likely that if the man's father had already died, the man would have been busy with burial preparations. Instead, Jesus knew that the man was suggesting that he would like to go home and care for his father until his death and to put off serving Jesus until there was a more convenient time in his busy life. Jesus means that sharing the word of God with others is of infinitely and finally greater importance than all our worldly responsibilities. And in a case of conflict between the two, there should not be a moment's hesitation. We should always put God first. Always. And before I leave this section, I want to hit a quick side note here. <clears throat> with just a quick little thought about how did Jesus finance his work, his ministry? Jesus did not appear to be a wealthy man by worldly standards by any means. He did not own a place that he could call his own. And he didn't occupy himself with worldly concerns, such as fancy clothes and all these fancy material possessions. For some three years, he traveled about much of the time with a considerable entourage. And at least twice, he organized large preaching expeditions. In part, Jesus and his disciples lived on the hospitality of the people. He received offerings from the well-to-do and from others. Jesus could have amassed a great fortune and lived like a king from donations from the crowds that followed him and from the sick that he healed, if he had chosen so. 
But Jesus needed no accumulated wealth because he had complete and total faith that God would always provide for all of his needs and all of the needs of his entourage, those that were traveling with him. His every need and desire was fulfilled. And what a testimony this is to us if we can only put our trust in the Lord. And with that, we're going to finish chapter 9. And let's go ahead and, and begin right away into chapter 10. We will begin with the sending out of the 70. Now, this is the only account in the gospel of the Lord sending out the 70 disciples. It closely re, uh, resembles the commissioning of the 12 in Matthew chapter 10. But we are not told exactly how far they traveled. However, the disciples that were sent were sent into the northern areas or the 12 disciples were sent to the nor northern areas as were the 70 are now being sent to the south along the route that the Lord Christ himself was following to Jerusalem. Now this mission was seemingly intended to prepare the way for the Lord in his journey from Caesarea Philippi in the north through Galilee and Samaria across the Jordan, south through Perea, and then back across the Jordan to Jerusalem. These 70, though, they didn't attend to Christ so closely and constantly as the 12 did, but they were nevertheless constant hearers of Christ's doctrine, of his words. And they were witnesses of his miracles, and they believed in him. And Luke's account of Jesus' commissioning of the 70 fits the immediate context well. It continues the procedure of sending messengers ahead during Jesus' journey. And at the same time, the obedient response of the 70 provides a contrast to the three men whose excuses disqualified them from discipleship. The instructions prescribed by Jesus were undoubtedly repeated frequently by Jesus and also in the early church. And while the ministry in the office of the 70 was only temporary, nevertheless, our Lord's instructions to these men suggest many life principles which apply to Christians in every age. So let's go ahead and turn to our Bibles and to our scripture, begin with verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But, whoever, uh, but whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, Eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, 
the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. <clears throat> now in verse 1, we have Jesus sends out the 70 two by two. And this suggests competent testimony. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. And the title, <clears throat> Lord, emphasized the serious uh, aspect of the instructions, namely that they came from the Lord Jesus himself. Not only does the commissioning of the 70 lack any restriction to Jewish hearers, as was in Matthew chapter 10, but the number of missionaries sent out parallels the number of nations thought to exist in the world and so suggests the deliberate inclusion of Gentiles. Now, sending messengers two by two was common among the early Christians and the Jews. The 70 were to go everywhere that Jesus was going. The extent of this mission underscores the mission of the church to reach the plentiful harvest. It may also look toward the conclusion of the church's mission at Jesus' return. So in verses 2 and 3, the Lord's servant should constantly pray that he will send out laborers into his harvest field. The need is always greater than the supply of workers. In praying for laborers, we must be willing to go ourselves. And although the harvest imagery in Scripture usually refers to God's intervention in history through gathering his people together, here it applies to the urgent missionary task of the present age. The imperative go anticipates the difficulties of the journey. Wolves are natural enemies of sheep. The disciples are like lambs, defenseless, but dependent on God alone. Now, the disciples of Jesus, <clears throat> they are sent into a hostile environment. They are to outward appearances like defenseless lambs. They are like among the wolves. They cannot expect to be treated royally by the world, but rather they can expect to be persecuted and even killed. And in verse 4, the limitations on what the 70 may take with them increase their vulnerability. They must also be single-minded, even to the extent of not becoming involved in time-consuming greetings. Considerations of personal comfort are not permitted. They can carry neither a money bag, nor a knapsack, nor sandals. Now, the money bag speaks of financial reserves. The knapsack is going to suggest food reserves, and the sandals may refer either to an extra pair or to footgear affording them extra comfort. But all three speak of the poverty, which though having nothing, yet possess all things and makes many people rich. And in verses 5 and 6, we have the uh, command, greet no one along the road. Christ's servants are not to waste long some ceremonious greetings. Such, and, and these were common in the East. And while they should be courteous and civil, they must not utilize their time 
in the glorious proclamation of the gospel, they must utilize their time in the glorious proclamation of the gospel rather than in profitless talk. There is not time for these needless dis displays to just sit around and talk. They have a mission. And they should accept hospitality wherever it is offered to them. If their initial greeting is favorably received, then the host is a son of peace. He is a man characterized by peace and one who receives the message of peace. If the disciples are refused, they should not be discouraged. Their peace will return to them again. That is, there has been no waste nor loss, and others will receive it. And greetings are to be reserved for the hosts of the 70. Peace, which was a term that was so familiar in Jewish salutations, has a rich connotation here. If the host has a proper attitude toward God, he will receive the blessings of the kingdom. But this promised peace will leave those hosts who were not receptive to the kingdom's message. And like the 12 here in verse 7, the 70 are to remain with their original host. The disciples should remain in the same house that first offers them lodging. To move from house to house might characterize them as those who are shopping for the most luxurious accommodations. And also it would have been an insult for the people of that time, whereas they should live simply and gratefully. And as the Lord's servants, they are deserving of support by the Lord's people. Verses 8 and 9, it's not clear whether the messengers feared being offered food that was prohibited to Jews. But these words may have been preserved because of their appropriateness to later situations, but they should not hesitate to eat whatever food and drink are offered to them. As servant of the Lord, they are entitled to their upkeep. Cities and towns take a position either for or against the Lord, just as individuals do. If an area is receptive to the message, the disciples should preach there, accept their hospitality, and bring the blessings of the gospel to it. Christ's servants should eat such things that are set before them, not being concerned about their food or causing inconvenience in the home. After all, food is not the main thing in their lives. And towns which receive the Lord's messengers still have their sin-sick inhabitants healed. And also this draws the king very near to them. Now verses 10 and 12, rejecting the kingdom's message has consequences, a day of judgment. And Luke includes such warnings of it. He did that in chapter 6, and we'll see future warnings in the upcoming chapters of 12 and 16 and even chapter 21. A town may reject the gospel and then be denied the privilege of hearing it again. There comes a time in God's dealings with the uh, when the message is heard that it could be for the last time for those that reject it. Men should not trifle with the gospel because it could be withdrawn forever. Light rejected is light denied. Now towns and villages which are privileged to hear the good news and which refuse it will be judged more severely than the city of Sodom. The greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility. As Sodom destroyed along with Gomorrah represents the consequences of ignoring God's warning to repent. More bearable probably relates not so much to the degree of punishment as to the degree of cult, uh, culpability. 
If Sodom cannot escape judgment, what hope does a city that rejects the Lord Jesus have? And with that, I'm going to stop there for today. We are getting a little low on time. But next time, I want to pick up here, and we'll get into the woe to these impenitent cities. And I'll have a side note for you. So until then, God bless you, and keep living Christian strong.